Welcome to Market Outlook, a special edition of the Wealth Experience Podcast. In these timely episodes, we provide the latest investment news and expert commentary on the markets, the economy, and investing. Brought to you by BMO Wealth Management. Hello and welcome to this latest podcast brought to you by BMO Wealth Management. I'm Neil Herskovich, Head of Ultra High Net Worth for BMO Private Wealth, and today we're talking about the economic impact of this week's election outcome. And it's a pleasure to be joined here by Doug Porter, Chief Economist for BMO Financial Group, and Leslie Marks, Chief Investment Strategist for BMO Private Wealth. Thanks to both of you for being here. So our listeners include business owners, families, stewards of wealth, next generation, and our professional advisors across the firm working with those clients. So I know this because this is content that's of great interest. So let's get started. First up, Leslie, perhaps you can give us a sense of how the markets reacted to the outcome of a minority government this week. Well, I, I would say it really wasn't much of a reaction. Uh, and, and mostly I think that was because the outcome that we got was really what was really expected in the polling data leading up to the election. So what we saw was our dollar traded pretty flat. Uh, rates, uh, Interest rates fell marginally, but I think that was more a reaction to weak retail sales data. And as far as the stock market goes, uh, it was pretty flat, uh, down a little bit with the worst performing sector being technology, which I think was really more uh, consistent with what we saw in the US, which was a weak uh, tech tape as well. Okay. Doug, without having seen the budget yet, are we expecting a shift in policy? And what might that look like? I think probably the most significant outcome of this election result is we're going to see a loosening in fiscal policy. And what that means is more government spending and probably a larger budget deficit than would have otherwise been the case. Even based on what the Liberals were promising during the campaign, we were likely looking at an increased budget deficit of around $27 billion versus $20 billion uh, this year. And with a little bit of prodding by the NDP and trying to keep them on side, we're probably headed for a budget deficit of around $30 billion in, in the coming year. Now, compared to most other economies, that's really not that big of an issue. But it is, I think, a bit of a concern that we're running such large budget deficits at this uh, mature phase of the business cycle. And with the economy going strong, the Bank of Canada has also resisted uh, following the Fed with rate cuts this year. What's the outlook from a rates perspective? Well, at this point, we're actually expecting nothing from the bank in over the next year. Uh, and that's in stark contrast to what we've seen out of the U.S., where the Federal Reserve has already cut uh, twice and looks uh, to be cutting again uh, relatively shortly. The, the main reason is the, uh, the, um, the job market has held up remarkably well. The housing market is making a nice comeback. And now, with li- the likelihood that we're actually going to see fiscal stimulus added to the mix, there's really no major reason for the Bank of Canada to be cutting interest rates. I think we'd need a, ma- a significant change in the global economic backdrop to, uh, to prompt the Bank of Canada to cut rates. And I, I actually don't see a, a scenario where the bank would be raising interest rates over the next year. Interesting. So, so that's good for business owners as the borrowing environment remains relatively inexpensive, also helping to continue to fuel the M&A markets through leverage. But on the personal side, families and investors are looking for yield. So, Leslie, how do you think about portfolio composition and where investors will likely be looking to allocate? Right. It's, it's a good point, Neil. Uh, 
I would say most investors will be looking at higher yielding equities. We've certainly seen those as being uh, the darlings of, of the equity market as people that have been accustomed to investing in the bond market and, and uh, accustomed to certain yield levels have been disappointed by the yield levels and moved towards higher yielding equities. But I think that uh, I would just caution on that front because um, one must also consider two factors. One is is total return. And I think that many investors would be surprised uh, when they think about seeing 1.5% yields on a Government of Canada 10-year uh, bond that bond investors, those invested in the bond universe year to date, have earned over 7%. So we need to always think about total return. And granted, uh, equity investors in Canada have earned returns uh, in the 17% range, but we always want to be mindful of measuring return versus risk or volatility around those returns. And so on a risk-adjusted basis, fixed income returns have actually been quite attractive year to date. And so when people think about moving into that equity side, uh, they need to be mindful of what they are creating on, on the risk side for their portfolio as well. Makes sense. So then, Doug, from that perspective, then with yields where they are, what's the outlook for the Canadian economy in terms of growth? Over the last couple of years, we've actually been looking at very modest growth in Canada, something just a wee bit below 2%. And we don't see that significantly changing over the next year. I know there's been a lot of talk about a potential global downturn, a U.S. recession. Um, it's, the risks are certainly higher now, largely because of the U.S.-China uh, trade battle. Um, but our, our baseline assumption is that the U.S. economy will grind through with, uh, with moderate growth again next year, and we think that'll be the case in, in Canada. In fact, technically, we've actually got the Canadian economy growing just a little bit faster in 2020 than 2019. There's some very specific reasons behind that. We see lighter production cutbacks in Al Alberta. We see a, a firmer U.S. Uh, Canadian housing market, I should say. And finally, we do think there is going to be some fiscal stimulus, which will somewhat support the Canadian economy. But overall, we're, again, we're looking at a modest growth performance for Canada between one and a half and two percent next year. Okay, and you you mentioned the uh, the federal deficit before. How do you think about the the level of federal debt and also the level of consumer debt in Canada as as the growth continues? To some extent, they're they're completely different animals, but I think. The one thing they have in common is they're both dealing with a, a world of exceptionally low interest rates. So starting with the federal debt, it's frankly, the, the world has changed since the 80s and 90s. You know, we're now dealing with, as Leslie said, long-term interest rates of, you know, 1% to 2%. It just isn't as pressing a concern to get the deficit down to, to zero as it would have been, say, in the 80s and 90s. Um, and to some extent, that that's true for the household sector as well. And it's one of the reasons why household debt is at an all-time high. You know, the flip side of that is interest rates are incredibly low. Now, having said that, this is the the point in the cycle where, you know, I think uh, we, we sh actually should be um, not running big budget deficits and uh, and and households should be very much mindful of their uh, their financial situation when we are at such a mature stage of the business cycle. Um, because we know at some point the global economy is going to go into a downturn. You don't want to go into it in a very weakened uh, fiscal situation. And Leslie, as, as families think, think about protecting and growing their wealth uh, in this environment, what are some of the other factors to think about here? 
Well, normally I would say inflation would be a factor to think about. But when we look at what's happening in in the market and and, and around the world, certainly not just in in Canada, uh, inflation doesn't appear to be a concern. We're tracking right around that 2% level that most of the central banks are are targeting. So uh, I I would say inflation is is less of a concern when you're thinking about growing your wealth today. Um, But I think Aside from what I mentioned on balancing that risk and reward trade-off, I think diversification is is really key uh, for families when they are looking at both growing and protecting. The fact that we had a year this year where uh, the bond market was so strong, interest rates were falling, bond prices were rising, as well as equities being so strong, um, is is quite unique in, in history. And typically, you would see uh, those markets moving in opposite directions um, because of the factors that would contribute uh, to the performance of both of those markets. So, so, for example, if the economy was strong, that would be driving stocks, but then that would also be pushing interest rates higher due to this inflation uh, concern. And we haven't seen that. So diversification hasn't really paid off um, year to date. But I don't think that means that that uh, rule is kind of out the window. And so we need to be mindful uh, when we're constructing portfolios and looking at targeting outcomes that we still keep in mind uh, diversification by those asset classes, stocks and bonds, but also geographically, because what's happening here in Canada may not be the same thing that's happening overseas or even, although we are uh, very strongly linked to to the U.S., uh, we can have still very different market outcomes. Okay, thanks, Leslie. And that's interesting because most of our clients uh, do have an element of multi-jurisdictional, either residing or operating a business or a component of a business. So, Doug, on that note, business owners are acknowledging, and you touched on it before, that the cycle has been long. Uh, and maybe nearing an end. What are some of the leading indicators that would signal a possible downturn is near? And there are all kinds of economic indicators that we can uh, keep an eye on, things like uh, employment numbers, uh, auto sales, a number of the surveys of uh, businesses and manufacturers or, or consumers. But usually what leads to a recession is a combination of a slowing economy that then is hit by some kind of specific shock or a big run-up in interest rates. And the real danger signal arises when you've got a combination of both slowing fundamental economic indicators and then loaded on top of that, you have uh, some really serious volatility and and downward moves in, in financial markets. And typically, financial markets are what really rings the bell and tells you that things have, have changed and changed significantly. And a great example of that, of course, was in 2008 when we had uh, just a, a horrendous uh, bear market develop in uh, in late 2008. And, you know, prior to that, we had had a number of economic indicators signaling that things were slowing. But what, what really pushed us over the edge is when financial markets absolutely uh, uh, weakened heavily late, late that year. And it was that combination of things. We, we really haven't seen that yet. We've seen some flashes of concern from uh, from some of the economic indicators. We've seen bouts of volatility in financial markets, but really nothing that really leads us to uh, you know to point to a recession just uh, just yet. Uh, just in terms of the cycle, yeah, it's true. This has been the longest U.S. cycle on record. It's already uh, over 10 years long. But I would just point out that Canada actually once went 16 years without a recession, and Australia is currently working on 28 years without a recession. So there's there's nothing magical about 10 years in terms of an economic cycle. Okay, Leslie, you were quoted yesterday as saying that fiscal stimulus would help to generate economic growth in Canada. Would this create a boost for our stock market? And what what do you what else do you see as key drivers uh, for our stock market? 
Well, I think that uh, fiscal stimulus uh, definitely would uh, generate economic growth and would drive our, our stock market in, in the sense that uh, generally fiscal stimulus will uh, turn into creating jobs in Canada and that in turn will uh, aid for the help of our consumers. So that particularly, that, that would help the consumer sector. So consumer discretionary, consumer staples. Um, I, I would also say that other factors that impact uh, the Canadian stock market are global growth factors because we are still uh, quite heavily uh, geared to the resource sector. We still have a strong material sector and, and on the energy side where uh, commodity pricing is set globally. So I think global growth also plays into uh, Canadian stock market performance. Other drivers, of course, are interest rates. We've talked about the view on interest rates and that we don't expect rates to move uh, markedly higher from current levels. Even though our government will be issuing more debt, we think that there will be a lot of demand for uh, Canadian debt, especially in a world where $17 trillion and counting is trading at negative yields. So we think there will still be uh, significant demand for Canadian government bonds. Um, but lower interest rates definitely as a discounting factor for valuing Canadian equities certainly contribute to boosting uh, the view on valuation for Canadian equities. And then I think sentiment really uh, needs to be considered as well. Canadians, I think uh, today in, in general, are feeling comfortable about the Canadian economy. Um, in, in a sense, not having a major change in government will probably make many feel uh, comfortable as well. And then there's the foreign piece where uh, how foreign investors view Canada, which politically is viewed as a very stable environment. Um, the, the one area I would say where uh, foreign investors have kind of... Um, uh, I, I would say uh, made their views known with their wallets has, has been more on, on the energy side where we have seen uh, an exit from foreign investment on the energy side. Okay. Uh, Doug, on the Canadian dollar side, uh, how's that performing relative to other currencies, the US dollar? What does that mean for our clients manufacturing and importing product and those exporting from Canada? Actually, it's interesting. The Canadian dollar has been uh, remarkably stable for the last year, especially when you look back at the some of the wild volatility we had in uh, in the prior decade when you know it zoomed up to over parity and then it plunged to below 70 cents. It's been uh, very stable in the mid-70s. I would characterize that as actually being a, a relatively competitive label, level for the, the Canadian dollar. I would say it's probably a little bit below its long-run fair value. But interestingly, the Canadian dollar has actually been one of the strongest currencies in the world in 2019 because the U.S. dollar has uh, has tended to weaken against uh, against a few other currencies. But the, the Canadian dollar has actually been uh, close to number one along with the Japanese yen and the Mexican peso. But overall, the, you know, the moves have been pretty modest this year in the, uh, in the foreign exchange world. And just to follow on from that, there's been uh, a lot of talk around USMCA and trade. Uh, many of our commercial clients and business owners are facing significant tariffs in their businesses. What are the expectations for the trade agreement and, and possible timeline on that? And of course, we actually came to an arrangement more than a year ago, and it's effectively been caught in limbo in the, in the U.S. House. Uh, it really does come down to the House Democrats and what uh, whether they decide to move it forward. I think we're going to find out on that very shortly within the next month or so. Uh, whether it actually does get th uh, through the House. So we've been hearing more positive aspects to that recently. The, the election can actually does raise a very slight question mark over it because uh, the opposition parties uh, 
you know, basically sniped at, uh, at at the deal during the campaign. But I suspect that uh, ultimately the uh, the Liberals will find at least one party to uh, to support it in in Canada. But the big question is whether it gets through the U.S. House. Leslie, you touched a little bit before on some of the sectors when you're talking about stock market growth. What are the sectors in Canada in Canada that investors are likely to be concerned about around the outcome of the election, and and what are impacted the most? Well, I, I would say uh, energy is definitely top of mind. Um, anxiety in the oil patch is definitely heightened as a result of the outcome of the election. It's a sector that has suffered from low prices, uh, foreign divestment, which, which I mentioned, and transportation bottlenecks. And unfortunately, uh, we don't see a lot of change uh, as a result of the liberal minority. And I think the concern would be going forward is that uh, in order to pass uh, legislation on platform items for the Liberal government, that they will need to align themselves on certain issues with the NDP. And so that could skew them a little bit uh, further away from the perception that uh, it's not a pro-energy government. So I think energy certainly uh, goes to the top uh, as, as far as concerns for investors. I know that there was talk uh, throughout the campaign about changes with respect to telecom and whether it's caps on our wireless bills or reduction in wireless bills. Um, th- those stocks really haven't responded negatively to uh, the announcement of the liberal minority. I think the issue there is, is the likelihood that that would actually come to fruition is probably pretty low, um, but it, it's it's out there, and, and certainly it's it's another area where the Liberals and NDP are are aligned. Uh, so it, it could be some uh, potential risk in the future, but we view that as as lower risk. Um, I, I think on, on the offset to that, as I mentioned, though, uh, domestic sectors, uh, the perspective should be quite positive because of the fiscal spend. So those consumer sectors uh, should continue to do quite well, as well as our industrial sectors, which are really more leveraged on the U.S. economy, which continues to be quite strong. And how do you think about the real estate sector with housing? Uh, there's been a cooling of the market with some measures brought in, particularly around Vancouver and Toronto. This news recently of it creeping back up again. How do you think about that? Well, I think the housing sector was very important for all of the candidates uh, campaigning uh, throughout this election campaign because it's so important to the Canadian economy. Canadians have really benefited from a rising housing market. But on the other hand, uh, many have been shut out of the housing market, particularly in the big urban centers like Toronto and Vancouver. So I think some of the policies, again, that's another area where uh, housing and affordability, where the Liberals are aligned uh, with the NDP, uh, could come to fruition. And uh, that could actually, um, well, well, that increases the affordability uh, in the market, in, in the housing market. It could also have a negative consequence of boosting housing prices even further. So we want to make sure that the government is mindful of those unintended consequences when they're making changes to policy as it relates to housing and particularly in in the context of stress tests as well and how important that is in order to maintain that appropriate balance of leverage and affordability when it comes to housing. Thanks, Leslie. Doug, just lastly, just want to touch on taxes for a second. Lots of noise about higher taxes, particularly on the wealthiest segment of the population. Uh, what do you think we can expect on that front? 
Yeah, and this this is one area where we really do lack clarity. Uh, the Liberals didn't uh, have a lot of uh, new tax measures proposed during the uh, the campaign. They you know they talked about a luxury tax on uh, on cars. Uh, planes and boats above a hundred thousand dollars, but beyond that, there really wasn't that much on the personal tax, other than lifting the uh, the basic personal amount. Uh, however, the NDP proposed all kinds of very aggressive tax hikes, and we'll have to see, you know, to what extent the uh, the Liberals accept or even uh, look at, at at some of those measures. Um, at this point, it's probably way too early to speculate, but. Um, uh, I think the concern is that they're, they're, you know, the Liberals might be interested in at least one one of those measures that the NDP had uh, had proposed. And uh, my own personal concern is that they might take a long look at raising capital gains taxes. Okay, interesting. Well, that covers uh, most of the topics that we wanted to discuss this morning. Uh, hopefully, it's provided a helpful insight from both a business owner and family perspective. And thank you for taking the time to talk with us today. Thanks for having us. Thank you, Neil. Market Outlook has been brought to you by BMO Wealth Management. Until next time, enjoy your wealth experience.